2017, New York Times tech columnist Kevin Roos wrote a piece on the growing alt-tech industry, a term that in this context refers to a collection of mostly online platforms aiming to replicate the services provided by other existing platforms, but to do so in a way that they claim at least is more open and less susceptible to what they perceive to be censorship. At that moment in time, many people who held, in particular, far-right views about race, gender, politics, religion, guns, and pretty much anything else, especially if those views were presented in a way that other people considered to be malicious or harassy or violence-instigating, were being booted from quite a few of the most popular and well-known online platforms. This wave of deplatforming, which is sometimes used to mean the same thing as canceling, and sometimes considered to be one aspect of canceling someone. The term canceling also being a bit fuzzy, and with varying definitions depending on who you ask. But this wave of people being booted from these platforms, some component of their megaphone being taken away or muffled, usually because of their behavior, but sometimes because of their expression of their beliefs, beliefs that other people on the platforms consider to be threatening or generally negative in some way. Incidents of such muffling and denouncing and kicking people off platforms for not illegal things picked up from previous years around that time. Even popular online forums like Reddit, traditionally a hub for mainstream unpopular conversations and content, and the folks who enjoy such conversations and content, began to boot communities and users in 2015, usually because they were posting illegal stuff, like revenge porn, featuring people who hadn't consented to having their images shared, or because they were engaging in harassing behavior, planning full-scale harassment or violence campaigns on these forums, and then driving some people, those they collectively targeted, from their jobs or into hiding, or in some cases they just made their targets' lives so miserable that they eventually killed themselves. Meta, at the time called Facebook, upped their own deplatforming efforts in mid-2019, ousting a bunch of cults and gangs and organizations that had been proudly or quietly aligning themselves with violent people and actions, including the leader of the Nation of Islam, the Alex Jones-led InfoWars program, and a slew of self-labeled alt-right accounts that were spreading conspiracy theories and encouraging violence against their political and ideological enemies. Things ticked up a notch, across the board, following the breach of the U.S. Capitol building on January 6, 2021. Then-President Trump lost his re-election bid and had spread a lot of misinformation leading up to and right after the vote, convincing a bunch of people that the election had been rigged in some way, a claim for which he and his supporters have never been able to provide evidence, and those claims changing from day to day during some periods, different people involved telling different stories to see what landed best with their intended audience. This seeding of the ground with misinformation and violence-encouraging rhetoric culminated with an attack on the U.S. Capitol building, led covertly, as it turns out, by a couple of U.S.-based groups that have now been designated as terrorist organizations, and joined by a whole lot of people who either also wanted to take down people in the government who have different political affiliations than them, or those they had been convinced were running pedophile rings and drinking the blood of children, and other such almost 
laughably over-the-top things that some people had nonetheless become convinced were true because of all that misinformation and perhaps as well some existing biases that they already harbored that were fanned from a spark into a, in some cases, violence-incentivizing flame. There have been many consequences for that event, that attack on the Capitol and the people in it, in the nearly two years since it happened. But one of the major tech world outcomes is that now former President Trump was booted from most social networks, in part because he was spreading just so much misinformation that it became overwhelming, and many of these platforms had allowed him to stay on despite that, up till that point because he was president, if we want to assume cynical motives, also because he was great for traffic and publicity. But from January 6 onward, Trump started to seem more like a threat than an asset, a valuable customer. He seemed to be encouraging violence, and that gave the folks running these online platforms justification to finally kick him off, president or not. Now to be clear, these networks, the Facebooks and Twitters and Reddits of the world, are generally hesitant to boot anyone in this way, because that's less ad-viewing activity for them, fewer positive numbers, and it can be a bad look PR-wise. They lost a lot of activity and consequently ad views on their networks when they ousted Trump and people like him from their communities. They also don't like to do it because they have to pay a bunch of employees to help them identify content that needs to be removed, and in some cases to help them figure out whether to remove the people who post said content as well. So all this deplatforming stuff, while they will sometimes crow about their efforts in this regard in the aftermath, making it seem as if they're taking the moral path by getting rid of bad actors on their networks, it's usually not something that they actually want to deal with, because it is expensive for them to do it. They'll never manage it perfectly, no matter what they do, so they will be criticized no matter what, and because it makes them look like the enemy to groups associated with the people and entities that they ban. And they do ban folks from all walks of life and ideologies and backgrounds and group affiliations. It's mostly just a matter of what's posted. And if anyone posts stuff that's bad enough or illegal often enough, they are booted. No matter if it's anti-woman or anti-Semitic or anti-people who have right-leaning politics types of posts. Against the rules is against the rules, and that is pretty standard across the board with these companies, with some reported, though hard-to-prove, exceptions for folks who have a large number of followers, like the aforementioned case of then-President Trump getting an exception. And that would also sometimes seem to apply to wealthy business people, celebrities, and so on. That said, because over the past handful of years the majority of the most obvious and consistent misinformation and conspiracy theories and groups making violent threats have been right-leaning or far-right in nature, and that's true globally in almost every country right now, but in the U.S. in particular, to some people who are non-radical Republicans or non-radical Tories, non-radical versions of whatever their local right-leaning political party or parties happen to be, to them, it may look like it's only their people, the folks that they pay attention to, the people and groups, their algorithmically generated social feed shows them who are being kicked off in this way. 
Now, this isn't true in the absolute statistical sense, but because so much of the stuff that's against the rules has been particularly popular on that side of the ideological divide of late, it's understandable that folks might perceive this to be an anti-right-leaning politics bias rather than an anti-misinformation, anti-calls for violence, anti-illegal stuff bias especially when those who are deplatformed in this way are then incentivized to play the victim card and claim that they were kicked off, not because they were calling for violence or spreading obviously false misinformation, but because those in charge hate them, are prejudiced against them, don't want their views to be heard, want to censor their voices, and yes, want to censor all of you, normal, non-violent, non-radical, right-leaning people as well. What I'd like to talk about today is what that aforementioned alt-tech ecosystem looks like now, and one recent instance of a public figure's deplatforming that may end up changing that ecosystem. You are listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. The article I'd like to start with today comes from the New York Times, and it's entitled Kanye West to Buy Parlor, Joining the Right-Wing Social Media Crowd. Incredibly successful and well-known hip-hop artist, producer, and fashion designer, among other professional and creative accolades, Kanye West, to paraphrase the standard ironic Twitter response to this sort of situation, has had a normal one. West, who recently changed his name to Ye, has mentioned mental health issues he's suffered over the years several times during interviews and in other public forums, especially after seeming to experience something like psychotic breaks or paranoid delusions in public settings. He has said he's had trouble distinguishing what is real sometimes, gets ultra-paranoid, and basically suffers from what would seem to be a fairly extreme version of bipolar disorder, though this is all based on stuff he has said and not an actual public diagnosis, so it's prudent to take these claims with a grain of salt, and I think also prudent not to assume anything he says or does is the consequence of a disorder, as opposed to the conscious belief of someone who is capable of distinguishing what is real and what is not, and is making decisions based on those assessments. That caveat in place, in recent years, Ye has sparked controversy by supporting right-leaning causes, like stating his opposition to abortion rights, and seeming to support then-presidential candidate Donald Trump, two things that are a bit rare in the entertainment world. He had some problems with his marriage to mega-influencer Kim Kardashian in 2020, potentially related to some of those views, and Kardashian filed for divorce in early 2021, though the separation process carried over into early 2022. West made some worrying, threatening comments about Kardashian's new boyfriend, who's also a celebrity, and around that same time he was dropped from a scheduled performance at the Grammy Awards because of his, quote, concerning online behavior, end quote. Ye seemed to have a bit of a Christian conversion sometime around 2019, at which point he began making Christianity-focused music, and more recently started up a private Christian school in Los Angeles, though the degree to which this school, which isn't accredited, is a real thing, is hard to say. Reporters who checked it out weren't even able to determine who worked there, and most of the promotional images feature kids decked out in high-end clothing that Ye designed, rather than doing school-related things. More recently, though, 
Ye made waves at a fashion show for his brand Yeezy in Paris, during which he wore a White Lives Matter shirt, which is a counter-slogan for folks who oppose the Black Lives Matter movement, and which is considered by the Anti-Defamation League to be a white supremacist calling card. The conservative political commentator Candace Owens wore a similar shirt at the event, and afterward, Ye posted an Instagram story in which he said, quote, Everyone know that Black Lives Matter was a scam. Now it's over. You're welcome. End quote. That was on October 3rd, 2022. On October 7th, Ye published an Instagram post that seemed to imply rapper Diddy is controlled by a Jewish conspiracy a post that led to his account being temporarily locked by Instagram. The following day, Ye used his Twitter account for the first time in not quite two years to post another, less veiled anti-Jewish diatribe, saying, quote, I'm a bit sleepy tonight, but when I wake up, I'm going DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. The funny thing is I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew also. You guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone whoever opposes your agenda. End quote. Followed by another, in which he said more concisely, quote, who you think created cancel culture, end quote. The first post was deleted by Twitter for being anti-Semitic, but the second remains up as of the day I'm recording this. These posts echo sentiments voiced by Ye in unaired segments of an interview he did on Tucker Carlson's Fox News program not long before, which were later leaked. In the interview, he made all sorts of anti-Semitic comments along with claims about fake children being planted in his home to manipulate and sexualize his own children. Claims that the founder of Planned Parenthood created the organization with the KKK to, quote, control the Jew population, end quote, though he clarified that he meant black people, which is a variation of an unsupported claim, espoused by the 19th century Black Hebrew Israelites movement, which believed, among other things, that non-black Jews are imposters. He also said that God sends him visions of, quote, kinetic energy communities, end quote, built using technologies not available to humans yet, and that he intends to build these communities. None of which means Ye is off his meds, as some have claimed, or that he's experiencing manic or paranoid episodes. That could be the case, but it could also be that he's just feeling more liberated to speak his mind post-marriage, post-criticisms for his political and faith-based views. It may just be that he expresses himself in ways that other people find confounding and at times disturbing, and that he holds a lot of views that are generally considered to be outlandish, conspiratorial, unsupported by fact, and offensive. He wouldn't be the first person to hold such views, but he would be one of the very rare public figures to hold such views and to espouse them in this way, which could be part of why it's become such a headline-grabbing, spiraling sequence of events rather than just the ramblings of someone with weird opinions, as would more typically be the case with a non-public figure saying the same things. Now, whatever the case may be, this series of what became news items was capped with the revelation that Ye had agreed to buy right-leaning Twitter clone, Parler, for an undisclosed sum, a purchase that is extra scandalous to some people because the owner of Parler is married to the aforementioned conservative political commentator, Candace Owens. 
So some analysts are seeing this as an example of cynical business people with a low-value, unsuccessful asset taking financial advantage of a man who is possibly manic, possibly just going through something psychologically troubling and who is not doing terribly well as a consequence, while others are seeing it as one more step in a worrying direction, ideologically, for a person with bad opinions and a huge public platform and a lot of impressionable fans. To put this move into context, Parler, which is basically just a copy of Twitter, but with a different ideological bend in both ownership and ostensible management, reportedly had about 5.2 million monthly active users in the first half of 2021 after the events of January 6th led to a flood of new users from other, less misinformation-tolerant platforms. But that's reportedly down to just 725,000 as of the first half of 2022. To put those numbers into context, Twitter has about 436 million monthly active users, which is several orders of magnitude more than Parler, but still relatively small for a major social network. Instagram, which is just one facet of Meta's social empire, has about 1 billion monthly active users, more than twice what Twitter can boast. And again, many, many times the sub 1 million Parler currently has. These fairly abysmal numbers are not a uniquely parlor thing, though. None of these alt-tech platforms have done terribly well, despite their owners' best efforts. Getter is the best performing of the current batch of alt-tech social platforms, with around 3.8 million monthly active users. It was founded by a former aide to Donald Trump, launched in mid-2021, and is another Twitter ripoff, basically though it does seem to have done a decent job of bringing American conservatives into its fold compared to the other options, at least. Truth Social, the Twitter clone made by Donald Trump's media company, has about 2.4 million monthly active users, while Gab, which has been around longer than most of the current competitors, having been founded in 2016, and which is more brazenly far-right in focus, proudly serving neo-Nazis and white supremacists in particular, boasts about 4 million users, but only about 100,000 active users, which is people who still use the service as of mid-2021. These social platforms are all perched atop other services, much the same as non-ideologically slanted versions tend to do, outsourcing some of the back-end support. But many of them have moved from mainstream hosts and security companies over to alt-tech versions of the same. The recent deplatforming of an online forum called Kiwi Farms, because it was serving as a home base for far-right people wanting to plan the doxing and harassment, and in some cases violence against folks they don't like, especially trans people, and for hosting copies of videos of mass shooters who livestream their rampages, served as a wake-up call for some of these other alt-tech services. The online services provider Cloudflare basically said they could no longer serve Kiwi Farms because of what they host, and that left Kiwi Farms open to denial-of-service attacks, leaving them exposed to be knocked down anytime they go live. Kiwi Farms was hacked and then taken down repeatedly, lacking those services to protect them. And now a slew of other similar service providers have likewise declined to help them host this type of content. As of the day I'm recording this, Kiwi Farms is actually back up and running, intermittently at least, backed by a homebrewed version of what Cloudflare used to provide them. 
but it's a somewhat wobbly thing compared to what they used to have. And this, alongside other recent moves by companies providing other services, such as hosting and money services, have made right-leaning and far-right entities nervous that they might be taken down as well. And so they have been increasingly opting to deal with the small collection of alt-tech hosts and money services and security services that have popped up in recent years, instead of the bigger, more well-known, not ideologically driven versions of the same. So Ye is buying into this alt-tech space, and while there's a chance he's been conned by people trying to unload an unsuccessful Twitter clone on someone who isn't in his right mind, or simply doesn't know any better, there's also a chance that this thing is just one more example of a fabulously wealthy person being criticized for their beliefs and opinions, and then deciding to buy a social network, one that won't be able to boot them, to block them, to take down their account no matter what they say, because they own it rather than attempting to play nice with the rules of other, larger, more mainstream services. And I say one more example of that type of dynamic because Donald Trump's Truth Social Network seems to be exactly that, and Elon Musk's recent purchase of Twitter, a far more mainstream network, but one that he says he wants to open up in the sense that he wants to welcome back people like Trump and doesn't want to ban people for anything they might say, making it more like those alternative networks, at least in theory, that seems to be a similar case, if one that involves a far more mature, less overtly ideologically aligned, at least at the moment, social platform. It's fair to say that Ye's fortunes have changed a bit following this month-long sequence of bad press-grabbing actions and the years of build-up leading toward them. He's no longer allowed on Twitter or Instagram. A documentary centering on him and his career has been canceled by MRC, the studio making it. The parent company of luxury fashion house Balenciaga has severed its ties with Ye and his fashion brand. Gap, which was making a line of Yeezy Gap-branded products with Ye, have said they're shutting down the collaboration and removing his products from their stores. And Adidas has said they've ended their deal with him, effective immediately, at a cost to the company of up to a quarter billion dollars this year alone. Foot Locker, has pulled Yeezy shoes from their online and in-person stores. The only two-star athletes signed up to Ye's Donda Sports marketing agency have announced that they'll be severing their relationship with that agency. And Forbes, home of the billionaire index, has announced that Ye is no longer a billionaire as a result of these happenings, especially the end of that deal with Adidas. So he's reportedly only got a few hundred million dollars now. Thoughts and prayers on that, I guess. But the big story here, and this is a story that is likely to keep expanding across his relationships and holdings, maybe even before this episode goes live, but the big story is that this is an incredibly public pushback against anti-Semitic beliefs and the people who hold them. And that is likely to impact both mainstream platforms, which may become more assiduous about policing this type of language and behavior on their services, but it may also send waves of folks who are okay with such things to these alt-tech platforms, which could thus see their numbers grow in the coming years. So maybe that parlor purchase wasn't about what the service is today, but what it could become under the leadership of someone who has shown himself to be a canny business person who has decided to put out a sort of welcome sign for folks who are enthusiastic about or just okay with these types of beliefs. All of this is happening in the context of other shifts in this space as well. Trump's Truth Social 
is struggling to go public and may or may not scale up and pay out supporters as a consequence of that effort. Twitter, as I mentioned before, is becoming an Elon Musk property, which could mean very little in terms of practical changes, but it could also mean this mainstream platform becomes a little more alt-tech in its ideology and practices. And there are laws popping up around the world that could force a lot of business owners' hands in this regard, from rules in the EU that want to enforce more restrictions against abuse and harassment and the instigation of violence, to a law in Texas that, if enforced, would seemingly do the opposite, disallowing any social network from removing posts or people from their services because of anything they might say or do that is connected to their beliefs which is a wildly broad and hard-to-legally-interpret statement, yet this is a thing that might actually be shaping our online services in the coming years, and not just in Texas, but around the world, if it sticks around as written. I'd like to recommend today is called Imaginable, How to See the Future Coming and Feel Ready for Anything, Even Things That Seem Impossible Today, by Jane McGonigal. The idea of forecasting, of being a futurist, of figuring out what might happen and what that might look like if and when it does happen, and what the likelihood of different things happening might be, is a field and a topic a field of study that's always been interesting to me. And it's something that I understanded in a somewhat superficial way. But then I read this book and aspects of it, the deeper levels of it, became a bit more clear. Now, this is not a textbook. It's not something that will give you an encyclopedic understanding of how to do different types of forecasting and futurist thinking. But it does fill in some of the gaps of the more mainstream interpretation and presentation of this type of industry and profession. And if anything about that field seems interesting to you now, or if you'd just like to fill in some of those gaps for yourself, however big the gaps might be, this would be a good primer to the concept and to some of the approaches that allow folks to do that kind of work. Now, if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of Imaginable by Jane McGonigal. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find a bundle of my other projects, including my other podcasts, at understandery.com. And feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm Colin Wright on Facebook, at Colin Wright on YouTube, and at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram and the like. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright, and I'll talk to you again next week.